0: You ready for a word from the Lord today? All right. Uh, How many of you feel like if I just had a little more money, life would be at least a little bit better? How many feel that way? Yeah. Yeah, I think a lot of us feel that way. A lot of us feel like, you know, money could help us. But how many know that there's probably not anything any more disappointing than finances? You know, putting your hope in finances. You know, how many of us have thought, you know, I'm getting ahead? Oh, I'm making good progress. Oh, this, this is awesome. I'm I'm feeling so good. And then something breaks. You ever been there? And, and then you think, oh my gosh, I am worse off than I was before because now I've got to repair this, do this. And, and, and some of us, and here's where we get into trouble, is we think, you know, if I had more of these, it would fix my marriage. You know, if I had more of these, Uh, It it would fix my kids. It it would fix my future. If I had more of these, it it would just help so, so much. But the Bible warns us about these, right? And we just saw in the video how that sometimes what happens is, though, the Scripture, and this is where we've been for the last few weeks and where we're going to go next week, is these are some of the most misquoted verses in all of the Bible. Every week, and, and today is one of the top most misquoted verses in all the Bible. And here's where it comes from. First Timothy chapter 6 verse 10 and here's what people think is it says for money is the root of all evil money is the root of all evil how many have heard that yeah money's the root of all evil so be careful but that is not what the actual scripture says look here look at the screen it says for The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. That's actually what the Scripture says. Not just a root, it's the root of all kinds of evil. In other words, there's all kinds of bad things that can happen because of the love of money. Now, the good news is this Scripture and this message today applies to other people other than you. Isn't that good? You know, you've got people around you. There's people at home that you're so glad they're in the living room right now because, you know, this, oh, honey, listen to this message because uh, this is some, something you need today. But I want us to see what what the Scripture actually talks about in in this passage, because we don't want to just look at this one verse and pull it out of context. We're going to look at the whole context of it. So let's talk today about money rules. Money rules, which is kind of a play on words because that's really the problem, is money can rule over us. But there are some rules that the scripture talks about to help us, because Paul doesn't just give this warning and, and then leave it there. We're gonna look at how he continues this thought, shares with us some rules that we can put into money. But before we go there, I want us to read another scripture because this is how we can know if we love money, all right? How do we know if we love money? Here's what Scripture says, Ecclesiastes 5.10. Whoever loves money never has enough. Okay, so a person who loves money feels like, I never get enough. I never have enough of these. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. In other words, this is like the person who says, by the time I'm 30, I want to be making this much. But then they get there at 29, and they say, well, that wasn't even the number at all. It's a higher number, right? And it just keeps on building that we, we, we want to make more. I, I, I can never have enough. How much more money do you think you need to be secure? I'll tell you the answer. More. Right? Whatever your income is, the answer is more. More. Because even for a millionaire, multimillionaire, and some of us would look at that person and say, wow, they're a millionaire. Oh, wow, they're a multimillionaire. Or they're a billionaire or whatever. You interview those people and ask them, are you satisfied with what you have? And they say, no, but I'm getting there. I'm, I'm hoping to get there. So the context of this passage, Paul Here's how how this whole scripture came about. Is Paul is writing a letter. And it's one of his last that that he ever penned. And he's writing it to his mentee. Okay, Paul has been a mentor to Timothy. And Timothy is a pastor. And he says, Timothy, I think you pastor some people who... Want to be rich. There are people in your church that want to be rich. They want to strike it rich. They want to luck out. They want, they want to somehow, they want to win the lottery. They want something to happen in their lives. They want to be rich. They have a desire to be rich. And what's happening, Timothy, is they're putting their hope in money. Instead of putting their hope in God. And and so Paul writes these words to Timothy to help him to know how to pastor people who love money. Okay, now I know this isn't talking about you today, but there are people you know that need to hear this today, all right? So here's what Paul says. 1 Timothy 6.6, but godliness... With contentment is great gain. Now, don't we all want contentment, right? We we all want that. We we all want contentment in our lives. Uh, what's her name? Marie Kondo, right? Uh, who comes into your house to help bring peace and tranquility? To your house by reducing and simplifying your life. And that sounds great, doesn't it? More and more people want to watch Marie because they want simple, they want peace. But here's what Paul goes on to say He says, For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. You know, I heard about this guy who said to his wife, he was on his deathbed, he's lying in the house, and he says, honey, here's what I want you to do. I I could go any day. I want you to put all my money in this briefcase, and then put the briefcase up in the attic, right over this bed. And when I pass away, I want to grab it on my way up. And she says, all right, dear. He says, promise me, promise me you're gonna do this. She said, all right, I'll I'll do it. And so, sure enough, she gets the briefcase and loads it up with money and puts it up in the attic. A couple days later, it passes away. They have the funeral. A couple days pass, and she and a friend go up into the attic and look, and there's the briefcase still filled with money. She says, That old fool, I told him we ought to put that in the basement. (laughs) How many know you can't take it with you? No matter what direction you go, okay? Up or down. But we all want peace in our lives today. Can I get an amen? We all want peace in our lives. So hang on, because Paul's gonna get to it, how you can have peace in a world that's crazy about money. Here's what he goes on to say. Let's, Let's keep reading what he's saying here. But if we have food and clothing we will be content with that. Now, a lot of us, we read this and say, well, if we can have food and clothing and the new iPhone and the new car and a new address and a second house, then we can be content. Hello? Hello? How many know the richest people are not those with the most, they are those who need the least, that have contentment? And that's where Paul's getting at. Hey, if you've got clothes, if you can eat, you're rich. You're rich enough right there. You're, You're a blessed person. Now, to illustrate this, you should go We haven't been able to go on missions trips recently because of the whole COVID situation. But when we go on missions trips, there's something that happens when we go, like for example, down to the Dominican Republic where we've built a children's center where every day over 200 children are blessed. They're clothed. They're fed, they're taught about Jesus. Could somebody get excited right about now? That it is an oasis of hope in a very hopeless part of the Dominican Republic. It's an oasis for the, the kids. There's a playground, there's basketball court, all these things that this church has provided down there. And, uh, but, but something disturbing happens when you go on these missions trips. And and what happens, what's disturbing and unsettling is you go and make visits. I think we've got a picture of me visiting one of the homes and bringing some gifts to uh, one of the kids that we sponsor down there. And um, what's disturbing is you go in this house and their doors and many of their walls are sheets that they have hanging up for dividers. Oh, and this is the kid's bedroom. And you're like, that's a sheet. And, and then it's just concrete floor at best. Some don't even have the concrete, they have dirt. And, and there's no restroom facility. There's, you, you look around and it's so simple and maybe a tin roof and, and you're looking at this and here's what's disturbing is these people look happy. And the married couple appear to be content with each other. And it seems like the whole family is settled. And that is unsettling for those of us who have a whole lot more than that and aren't nearly as happy. You hear what I'm saying? Because you want to go in and say, no, you're not happy. <laughs> Do you not know what you don't have? Look at this. You don't have this. Where is your cable? Do you have, do you even have Netflix? Your your closet. Is that only, is that the amount of clothes that you have? And in that pool out, that kiddie pool, it's not really a kiddie pool, it's your washing machine that you wash your clothes in. You people need to wipe those smiles off your faces. You're not happy, but they are. And I think it's because they've learned something. Here, here's, here's what I want you to know. Is discontentment makes rich people poor. And contentment makes poor people rich. First Timothy Chapter 6, verse 9, let's read on. Then he says, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. He, he says, for the love of money, here's our verse, is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. We all know people who have done this. You know families that have been destroyed because of the inheritance that they fought over. And it wasn't even that much stuff. It wasn't even all that great, (laughs) But, but all the conflict, the, the, the venom and everything that happened. And the Bible says the stuff's not the problem. It's the craving of the stuff. See, and this is the problem because we can get to daydreaming about money. Anybody do this? Just me? <laughs> Just me? Okay, because I do this. I do this. I'll daydream about money. Oh, if I had more money, here's what I could do. And oh, I'll even do it for the church. I'll say, oh, if somebody would give a million dollars to the church. God helps somebody at Crossroads to win the lottery this week (laughs) and be a tither. What could we do for the kingdom? And, and here's the thing is we can daydream and we can think, well, if I'll just work more, then I'll get more of these. And I know I'm going to miss my family and I'm going to miss church and I'll miss a lot of things in my life. But, but you know, right now, this this is huge and it's important. And, and what it sounds like is it sounds like money is bad, doesn't it? It sounds like, well, money's bad. You need to watch it. No, it's the longing, the craving, the loving of money. And see, what happens is some people teach a prosperity gospel. Now, we don't teach this here at Crossroads, but there are some people that, and you may never even have heard that term before, but let me just explain to you, because maybe you've heard the concept of a prosperity gospel, and that is, if you'll do what God wants you to do, and you'll follow the Bible and quote the Bible and, and, and things like that, then God's gonna make you rich. God's gonna bless you in monetary ways. And a lot of times, you know, when you give in an offering, he's going to give back to you. And, and what it does is it kind of makes God a means to our blessing. That, that you know, God, you're, you're going to do this, right? And, and it's kind of like putting money in a, in a machine and pushing the right buttons. And then we get want to get the right thing out. And, and so we think, now, I'm going to give today, and I, I'm going to put this offering in, and then, God, here's what I want. I want E12, <laughs> new job, new relationship. You know, I, I want you to bless me in return. And, and so then, here's what can happen Here's what can happen to a lot of people is, oh, I don't want to go down that route. I don't want that prosperity gospel, so I'm going to believe in a poverty gospel where the poorer I am, the more righteous I am. And so I don't have all those things you do, so I'm more righteous than you. I'm more holy than you. I, I don't have all that, so I don't go to Disney World we, we don't do that. We, we don't succumb to those pleasures and things like that. And I, I've got seven outfits, one for every day. And, and somehow we think that, that, you know, poverty leads to righteousness. Let me help you out. Deuteronomy, this will shake your tree, okay? Are you ready? Deuteronomy 8, 18. But remember The Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. If you're rich, it's not just your fault, it's God's fault. (laughs) Right? Isn't that what it says? Because he gave you the ability. If you're good with stocks, you didn't get that just because of you. God gave you that ability. If all of a sudden you've been in business and you owned one vehicle, now you got two or three or you lease a whole fleet of trucks or whatever and they all have your name on the side and whatever, you didn't do that. God did it. Every good and perfect gift comes down from God so here's what happens we, we don't want to go over here and say well if you're blessed then, then you must be holy and whatever because God's blessing you and God's whatever no that, that may not be it at all and but yet at the same time if you're poor poorer than dirt it doesn't mean you're close to God either See, because the Bible says God blesses, God pours rain down on the just and the unjust, the Bible says. And so it's not money. And here's what happens when you're in the poverty mindset and and somebody compliments you, and I've been there, I've been there, done that. Somebody says, oh, that's a nice shirt. And I'll say, oh, I got it on sale. (laughs) It's on clearance. It was on the clearance rack. They say, "Oh, it looks really nice. It is, but I got it cheap, just so you know." And here's what happens: is we make excuses for God's blessing on our life. Listen, the reason why I live in the house I live in, where the clothes I wear, and, and have the food that I eat, and everything—all glory, honor, and praise go to God. How about you? It all goes to God, and so we don't want to apologize for God's blessing. You don't see Solomon saying, "Well, I know I got four hundred thousand horses, but it's, you know, it was a gift." <laughs> you know, I know I live in a palace, but you know, it's not that big. <laughs> it's one of the wonders of the world, but it's not that great. No, it's not money. It's loving it. You hear that? It's loving it. And and here's here's the thing. Is having money isn't bad, but loving it is more dangerous than you can imagine. Because here's what he says. You'll pierce yourself with all kinds of stuff. You, You can research lottery winners who their marriages fell apart People who committed suicide, people who were murdered, all kinds of terrible things. And it wasn't the money, it's the love of money. Here's what God wants us to get to. My job, your job, it's not our supplier. God is our supplier. They are just the tools that God uses to provide for our needs. And when we forget this, here's what happens. we start to worry. And this is where Jesus lands on the topic of money a lot of times. is He says, "I'll tell you what's dangerous about this stuff, is you worry about it. You, you get to worrying." And, I, and Jesus says, "Look at the birds. Remember that? Look at the flowers. Are they worried? And do you think I don't love you more? Do you think I won't take care of you? He says, don't worry. So worry is a warning light that maybe you love this too much. It, it might be a warning light that I, I'm, I'm, I'm loving it too much. Let's let's look at verse 17. 1 Timothy 6. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor put their hope in wealth which is so uncertain. How many can say 2020? <laughs> How many <can> say 2008? <laughs> you know, I mean it's uncertain. But to put their hope And God, who richly provides us, what's he do? What kind of God do we serve? A God who richly provides us with everything, why? For our enjoyment. Listen, so we can enjoy it. And so when you think, well, who is he talking about here? Who are these rich people? I'll tell you who it is. It's people like us who have hundreds of dollars worth of equipment in our pocket. (laughs) Something that many people couldn't even afford in a year because the average person's only making a dollar or so a day throughout the world. If you have a working automobile, you are among the 9% top of wealth in the world. If your car runs, if it works, you're in the top 9% of wealth. And we get in that car, we leave church, and we drive by seven restaurants and can't figure out which one we want to go to. (laughs) I don't know, this one or that one or the other. And and some of you, you're at home, you don't even leave your house. (laughs) You call, listen, we're so rich, we don't even leave our house. Who do we want to get to come over today Uber Eats, let's, let's get Chinese, let's get Mexican, let's get what, hello? And, and we have a house, many of us, we have a house for our car that the car lives in. And, and we go into a closet, some of us, that's as big as some people's kids' bedrooms divided off by sheets that I've been in, and and some of us, we go in there, and we go over all these clothes and look, and we say, I don't have anything to wear. (laughs) All the while, we're in our climate-controlled environment with Netflix blaring in the background. And listen, here's what the Bible says. Here's what Paul says. It's not a sin to enjoy things. Because you may be thinking, well, Craig, should should we just not enjoy, you know, things, money, and the things money can buy? No, God gave it. The enjoyment of it is not a sin. As a matter of fact, if you'll read Solomon, some of his writings, he says, it's almost a sin not to enjoy it. Because it's like you're dishonoring God. God gave you that and blessed you with it. Enjoy it. This is what the rich man says. But it's because you don't put your hope in it. My hope's not in that car, it's not in the house that provides for me, it's not in my job, it's not the money in my wallet, it's not the retirement savings, it's not all that stuff. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood, come on somebody, in righteousness, right? That's what it's based upon. So, why, why do we do this? Because I don't know about you, but I don't want to do that. When I get to trying to worry about money and I think, oh man, you know, I should have got going earlier, yeah, you know, but planting churches and everything, I, how, how you do that and, and how you save for the future and everything. And, and, and how do we stop worrying about money? And make sure we're trusting and hoping in God. Why do we do that? Why do we put our hope in money? It's because of this. Money promises what only God provides. It promises happiness, security. You know, if you get more of me, you'll be secure. And we get more and we're still not secure. Because we think, well, that wasn't quite enough. I thought that stack would be enough. But turns out the stack needs to be higher. Turns out that I need more. Or significance, you know, you you get somewhere and, and you think, oh, now I'm driving up in this. Everybody ought to pay attention to what car gets parked at the party. And then we realize somebody else has a newer one. Or a longer one. Or a remote controlled one. They don't, you know, they didn't even drive here. It drove itself. And so what happens is is we think that if I get those jeans, if I get that purse, if I get that house, if I get that Land Rover, if I get that right thing, then all of a sudden I'm gonna be happy. And here's why the Bible says we're deceived. We're going to talk about that again in a few weeks when we talk about spiritual warfare. It's one of the biggest tricks of the enemy is deception, deceiving us. Because money is not the answer to our deepest needs. I'll tell you what is. It's really a who, it's Jesus. So what we need, listen, church, is more of Jesus and less of this world. Could you say amen to that? Come on. Uh, We need more of Jesus because more money won't help get your kids off of drugs or keep them from drugs. As a matter of fact, if you have more money, they'll have more money to spend on drugs, chances are. More money is not gonna cure your best friend's cancer. More money is not gonna give you a better marriage. What we need is more of Jesus and less of us, less of the things of this world. So what do we do? What are we supposed to do with money, Paul? You know, if that's the way it works and everything, what do we do? With money. Let's read on. Here's what he says in the next verse verse 18. Command them, he's talking about rich people, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure. Now, who does that sound like? It's not a trick question, okay? Who does that sound like? Lay up treasure. Let me, let me tell you something. If, if a preacher asks you a question in church, nine times out of ten, the answer is Jesus. Okay? Okay, I'm, I'm just saying. It's, it, you know, Jesus. Nine times out of ten, you'll be right. All right? Jesus said that about lay up treasure. In heaven, He says, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. In other words, keep your eye on the future, not the future here, but the future there. How many know there's another future beyond this world? It's beyond this world. So that they may take hold of the life Listen, and I love the way Paul put this. That is truly life. Oh, I love that. Because so many people that you look, they're, they're like a zombie. They're like the walking dead. Spiritually dead. Just going to work. Working hard. Trying to make more money. So that they can spend more money. Saying so save more money. So they can leave more money while other people have their eye on something else. Paul says, don't be robbed of true life and don't rob others of true life. So be generous. Here's how we do this every year. Not only weekly, but every year coming up, we have a, what we call a miracle offering. It's a Christmas end of the year Miracle offering, and this year, once again, uh, we'll be having it December 5th. And so, just want to announce that to get ready for it. It's a huge day for Crossroads Church, and listen, here's why because over the last two years, this miracle offering has resulted in us just one illustration is we have given over a hundred thousand dollars to Project Rescue to free women and children from sexual trafficking in the world today. How many could get happy about that? You should, you should celebrate that. Because that, that's amazing. That's, that's, that blows my mind. We, we've given over $20,000 to a local drug addiction program that's new in our community called Waymaker. And, and you saw the video several weeks back uh, when we gave that, that, that they were weeping when we handed them that check because it was like a life-changing moment for them. It, was, it catapulted them to to be able to do so much more ministry. Why? Because of the generosity of this church. And so here's what I'm doing again. I'm telling you, the miracle offering is coming, and this year I think we can do at least as much as we've ever done before. I thought you'd shout me down right now, okay? That's kind of my daydream, all right? Imagination, okay? I, I really believe that. How many God has brought you thus far? You're you're here today because of God. If it had not been for the Lord on my side, where would I be? That's my testimony. Where would I be? I don't know where I'd be. I'm liable to be, I would liable to be dead (laughs) if it weren't for the Lord. But because of his goodness, because of his mercy, listen, he calls us, Paul says, not just to be uh, consumers, but to be contributors. And I'll tell you, I I know this is tough at some points in time in your life, and I'll just, I'm not doing this to be guilty, make you feel guilty or anything like that. I'll just tell you, I get it. Because there was a time in our lives when Rochelle and I had been let go from a position in a church, uh, let go on that spot, that day. Go pack your stuff in your office, and and uh, we'll pay you through the end of the month, and you better find something else, which took longer than a month, okay? And uh, so in the second month, we went to church at a place, and and a guy that we had gotten acquainted with, who was an international traveler and a a dynamic uh, preacher, was there at that church. And so we shared with him afterwards and on, and and we said, we want to bless you with a gift. And we gave him a check for $100 that he did not want to take after he'd heard our story. You know, when unemployed people give you a check, and this is a long time ago, this is when we were very first married. So today that would that check would have to be a way larger check than what it was then. But I've never given a check that I felt any more than that one. And and so we we gave it to him and he wanted to give it back. And there was something in me that kind of wanted to grab it, you know. <laughs> I'll just be honest, all right? I just kind of, yeah, thank you, Lord. You're giving it back. See, he gave it back. Um, but we said, no, no, no. We, we need to do this. And, and we went ahead and gave that check. And within just a few weeks, we had another position that opened up to us that launched us into a redirection of ministry that I, I don't have time to tell you today, but I, I'll just tell you, There are times in your life where it feels very uncomfortable to do something, where where it feels like, really, really, you're talking to me, God? I mean, look at them. I'm sure their car runs well. I'm sure they live in a nicer neighborhood. than God, you must be talking to them. But there's something where you can't shake it. Where where you just feel like, no. No, I think he's he's talking to me. And I've got to do this. Because I happen to be in that top 9% of wealth of the world. How about you? And when Paul's talking about wealthy people and rich people... I think he's talking to me. And so it's not wrong to have money. It's wrong to love money. And what he says, instead we should do with money, he says you should do good with it. So when a miracle offering or whatever comes along happens, do good with it and be generous with it. And here's what he says. You know, a lot of people have asked me, is the United States in the Bible? If it is, this is where I think it is, okay? Paul's last letter he ever wrote before he died. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse one. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. There are many people who would say, We're in the last days. Maybe you're one of those people that thinks, I think we're in the last days. Well, if you believe that, here's what kind of people there will be. People will be lovers of themselves. Notice this. Lovers of money. Boastful. Proud. Abusive. Disobedient to their parents. I'm not reading the news, okay? This is the Bible. Ungrateful. Unholy without love, unforgiving, slanderous, Twitter, uh, without (laughs) self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. The Bible says in the last days, that's what people will act like. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to fit that description That's not Jesus' description. Jesus says, no, you need to love God and love people. And you love them enough that you're willing to let go of what you need to bless somebody else. Here's what Proverbs says. Honor the Lord with your wealth, the first fruits of all your crops. There probably aren't a ton of farmers in this house today. We don't really live in a big agricultural society anymore. There may not even be any farmers. There could be some watching. So what's that crop thing? Well, it's your paycheck, okay? And here's what he says. Here's what will break greed. You ready for this? Here's what breaks. It just messes. Ooh, it messes with greed. It, it just messes it all up is when you let go of the first one of these that comes into your hand. See, when, when, when you get paid and you take the first one and say, that's God's. Now, what am I gonna do with the rest? It, it breaks, I'm telling you, it's just, just, just try it. Try it for 90 days and see if it doesn't help break the spirit of greed in your life. Let me wrap this up. Here's a final statement. Is God doesn't bless us to raise our standard of living, but to raise our standard of giving. See, when God blesses you, it's not just for you. Sure, enjoy it, Solomon says. Enjoy it. Taste that food and, and go on that trip and whatever, but hey, First, put God first. First do that. And then you won't love this, you'll love God. And instead of loving this and trying to use God, you'll love God and use this. Let's pray. Father, in a culture like ours, where I feel like we're in those last days, God, help us. Because it's like swimming upstream. We're so bombarded with ways to be discontent, to feel like we don't have enough. We live in a culture of comparisons where we can compare ourselves to others all the time, 24 7 with pictures included. But God, you didn't call us to that, that discontented life. You called us to a peaceable life, a life of peace and prosperity. Not the kind the world thinks of, but the kind that you think of. Maybe you're here today, or maybe you're watching and maybe a good question, as I was thinking about this, is just, is God first in my life? You know, it's not about money, it's not about things that money can buy. And that's not what we're talking about right now. Just, is God first in my life? And then, how do you back that up without words? One of the ways the Bible says we can back it up without words is through our actions of love and through our giving, our generosity. And and so today, do you love God enough to put him first? If you're here and you'd say, Craig, I, I feel like that God's spoken to me, I, I do pretty good most of the time, but t- sometimes I, I get off track and I get, I get to thinking I need something and I get in debt or I, I don't know what that looks like for you. Maybe you finance something or whatever. And, and, and today you would just say, I want to surrender my finances to God. I want to surrender all that I have to God and let him be Lord over my finances, over everything. I I want to be a generous Christian. How many would raise your hand and say, yeah, that's me today? Hands all over this room. At home, just believe the Lord with me right now, wherever you are. Heavenly Father, you gave us things to enjoy, but not to the extent where we put it on the throne of our life. And so, Lord, we surrender all to you today. We surrender everything to you, not holding back. And God, for some of us, maybe that's going to mean to start tithing, to start giving that first dollar of every 10, that first 10 of every 100, and give it to you to try to break that spirit of greed in our lives. God, wherever this lands for each of us, we pray that most of all, when we would leave this place or walk away from that screen, that we would have a settled establishment of God is first in my life. Maybe you're here today, or maybe you're watching, and and you would have to say, God's not first in my life because I haven't really... Made God first in my life. And maybe what that looks like is you've never really surrendered your, your body, your life, your mind, your soul, your, your everything to him. And in other words, you're, you're kind of God in your life. And, and that's really the way most of culture operates is we try to make our own decisions, do our own things. And then I would just say, how's that going for you? Because for most people, it ends up with discontentment. It ends up with disenchantment. It ends up with disappointment in our lives. And so if you're here today and you'd say, I wanna give God a try. I wanna put him on the throne of my life. I, I want Jesus to be Lord over my life. I need forgiveness of my sin. When I go to heaven, I, I, I wanna know that, that, that I'm ready to meet God so that I can gain entrance into heaven. And listen, you don't gain entrance because of your money or the things money can buy. It's because of what God has done for you, what he's provided for you. And if you want to take what God's provided for you through Jesus into your life today, would you just raise your hand and say, yeah, that's me. God's speaking to me. Just raise your hand. If you're in this room, if you're home, type decided in the chat. Just type the word decided. And pray with me right now. Come on, everybody pray it so those around you will pray it. Say, dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross for me, to pay for all my sin. And I know I've sinned, but I wanna start over. So from this day forward, as much as I know how, I surrender my life to you. Thank you for coming in and washing away my past, washing away my sin, so that I can be born again. From this day forward, I worship you and thank you as my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, somebody. Let's praise God for those who made that commitment.